Okay. Now, now we got all that out. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's stand to our feet here this morning and let's read verse 16 and verse 17. I began this message some weeks ago, didn't finish, but I added some things to it this morning. I like to preach on the heart of the Bible. The heart of the Bible. We find in verse 16 and verse 17 will bring forth that heart. This is the heart of the Bible. This is the throb. This is the passion. Uh, if you want to know what the Bible's all about, right here, it's spoken. So simply and so easily understood. It says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name this morning, thanking You, Lord, for the reading of Your Word, thanking You, Lord, for the songs that we're able to sing that lift up Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for the, the very understanding that You gave us this morning out of Ephesians chapter 4. We pray now, Lord, that You'd open our eyes, our hearts. May we receive the things of God. May this message, may this time, this preaching, this, this uh, lesson this morning not just go uh, past us and move beyond us. God, may it not fall on deaf ears and, and uh, crowded hearts. But, Father, may we might receive the things of God that may help us to understand really what the Word of God's heart is. And so we pray, Lord, that you anoint us, guard our lips, may Christ be honored and glorified. Use us for thy glory of God. May you save a sinner here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 16, it can be considered this morning the greatest verse in the Bible. It could also be considered the most famous verse in the Bible and also considered this morning the theme of the Bible. Now we find John 3.16, we find it everywhere. We find it on shirts, we find it on bulletins, we find it in billboards, we find it at sports games, we, we find it in churches, we find it in, uh, in, in places where you not think a, a Bible verse will be seen. You'll see it in TV, you'll hear it on the radio, uh, you'll hear it spoken between each other. Even lost people know John 3.16. And so John 3.16 is something uh, that you and I as a Christian, if you are a Christian, uh, if you lived any time at all, that you would say, I have heard of John 3.16. You may not know what it means, but you have heard of it. My, matter of fact, some people even can quote it without even knowing what it means. But this morning, uh, as we just kind of go back for just a moment, for those who have heard this message uh, in the, the beginning of it, not finishing it, but I need to go back for just a moment, and I would like to say this this morning, that the center of this verse, John 3, 16, the center of it is the Son. If you would if you take this verse here and count how many words are in this verse, and you divide that by two, and that 13th word in the very middle of John 3.16 is the word Son, capital S-O-N. And so the center of this verse is the Son. 
And what this, this, this verse revolves around, without the Son, there's no verse like this. So this verse right in the middle of it is the Son, and what revolves around in the verse is the Son. And whatever is anchors this verse, what makes this verse popular, what makes this verse powerful is a word called Son. And so it anchors to it. We find that it's rooted in it. We find that it pivots on it. We see that without the Son, in this verse, in verse 16, without the Son, what God could do. God couldn't do anything without the Son. Without the Son, what would love do without the Son? Without the Son, what would the world do? Without the Son, what would belief do? Without the Son, what would parish do? Without the Son, what would everlasting life do? You see, all the important factors of John 3, 16, like for God so loved the world that He gave His only blank, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, would have no value, would have no power, have no meaning. It would do nothing for anyone or anybody. The Son is the center of this verse. We find here, secondly, we notice that not only the center of the verse, but the core of the verse. The core of the verse is in verse, verse 16. says, for God. For God. He's the originator of the verse. Without God, this verse wouldn't be existing. Now, I see the originator of the verse, but he is the enforcer of the verse. It says, for God. We find that he's also the completer of the verse. That word for means, it means, the word for means because. So you can read it this morning, John 3, 16, and say, because God. And if God wasn't there, then the verse wouldn't be that verse, and there'd be no hope in the verse. But the word for means because God. The word for means but God. That word for means therefore God. That word for means even God, and it means yet God. And so that's what that word for means this morning, and it puts a great value on the verse. For this verse right here, the core of it is God. We find here, number three, the cause of the verse. Why is the verse even written? Why is the verse even in the Bible? Well, because so loved. For God, who's the core? So loved. That's the cause of the verse, because God loved. And friend, without the loving of God, there'd be absolutely no reason for verse 16 in this most popular verse in all the world. I want you to notice his love is uncharacteristic. That word, he didn't say God loved the world. You and I can do that, right? You and I can have love of the world. Uh, but he said God so loved. So there's a characteristic to the word love. And the characteristic is this. It means in this way or in this manner or in this fashion, this is the way that God loves. Exclusively God. Nobody can love the world so loved like he did. And I'll tell you something else is that it's uniquely God. Because nobody at all has any love for the world as God loved the world in the fashion in which he loved it. 
we find it's particularly God. Uh, it's heartly. It's deeply. It's, it's uh, much strongly. Uh, God just didn't love, but God so loved. For example, you say to your wife, I love you, man, she would probably pass out. Right? I mean, you, you say to your husband, I love you, he would probably just have a heart attack, right? I mean, he hadn't heard those in years and days and, and months. And, and, but when you come to him and say, I so love you, uh, they would probably just run. I mean, because, man, that's just something more than expected, right? I mean, to say I love you is pretty common and natural, but to say I so love you is like going over the top. You're doing like extra, right? I mean, it's like, you know, what do you want? I mean, you know, if you say, I so love you, you say, okay, what do you want me to buy your car? Or, you want a diamond ring? Or, you want a new gun? Uh, what is it? Here, God so loved the world. Uncharacteristic love. His love is also unconditional. He said, God so loved. The word love there means has no regard of who you are has no regard of what you did. It has no regard of where you are. In other words, you can be this morning a murderer and God loves you. You can be this morning a thief. You can be a liar. Uh, you can be full of anger and bitterness. Uh, you can figure any way of lifestyle, any way of doing, however you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God so loved. Unconditional love. Uncharacteristic love. We find there's not no request. In other words, this love that God loves the world with, uh, there is no, what can you give Him for this love? Uh, what can you do for Him for this love? What can you have for this love? God said, I just so love the world and I'm not requesting anything from you. I don't want nothing from you. I just love you. And we find that's an unconditional love. Uh, thirdly, there's no requirements for this love. You don't have to meet no rules. You don't have to have no codes. You don't have to do no commandments. Listen, without you at all being saved, without you being right, without you being uh, correct, without you being just and innocent, God said, I love you. Aren't you glad this morning that God loves you in such a way? We find this love. The love is uncharacteristic and unconditional, but we notice this love is unceasing. This love never quits. This love never weakens. This love never changes. I mean, this is so love. God so loved the world. And it don't matter if you love Him or not. It don't matter if you acknowledge Him or not. It don't matter if you worship Him or not. It don't matter, Fred, if you turn your back on Him. His love never changes, winkens. It never ceases to be. God so loved the world. Ah, no wonder it's a magnificent verse. We find here, fourthly, the context of the verse. Who is the verse writing to? Why is it written to? Well, the context is the world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And that's the context of the scripture. It all hones in to the world. Who is God love? He's loving the world. Well, who are the love? Who are the world? Well, the world's characters are unsaved. The world's characters are not only unsaved, but ungodly and unfit. 
Do you know all of us that are of the world today, that were born in the world and is the world today, that God loves us and He loves us in our ungodliness and in our wickedness and our unfitness? Well, I tell you, what a, what a love that is and what context that the Scripture is speaking of is the characters of the world. But then the condition of the world, the condition of the world is blind, deaf, and dead. Let me ask you a question. Would you take your love and find somebody out here in the world who's deaf, dumb, and blind? Would you love somebody like that? Would you love somebody that's ungodly and wicked and, and unfit and, uh, and just horrible? I mean, is that your kind of spouse? Is that your kind of love? That's what God's was. Number three, I noticed that not only the characters of the world and the condition of the world, but the condemnation of the world. Friend, he's loving those that are full of judgment, full of wrath, and full of damnation. You see, the world that's hopeless, he loves. The world that's helpless, he loves. The world that's heedless, he loves. The context of the Scripture. Boy, I tell you, I'm so glad this morning, for God so loved the world. We find uh, this morning the connection of this verse. And we find in that connection is that he gave. That's what brought all these verses together, what brought all these words together, what brought all the thoughts together was that he gave. Now the word gave there, it means furnished. Furnished. It means supplied or gifted. In other words, that word give there means to give to someone for his interest. Now when God said, for for God so loved the world that he gave, he supplied and furnished to the world, the context, because he had an interest in the world. You got that? So he didn't give his son for his interest even though it was his interest that he had in the world. And so this gift that I'm speaking of, the the verse this morning that has a connection, what brings the connection together with all other items like love, like son, like like the world, is this he gave. He gave. And when he gave, I noticed this morning uh, that this act brings everything together. I noticed that he had the interest of the world. I noticed, secondly, he made the initiation to the world. It wasn't the world looking for God. It wasn't the world loving God. It wasn't the world seeking for a better life with God. It was God loving the world that he gave. The connection to you being saved or the connection for your eternal life or the connection that you have so you don't go to hell is that he gave. Because of his interest of you who was ungodly and wicked, his interest was he gave so that he could come back to you and you would be saved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. None of us this morning has any way of boasting about our salvation. Nobody in this room today can blow any smoke when we leave out of here and talk about what I did and how I did it and when I did and, and how I done it. And no, none of us this morning. It was completely, and the connection was God that he gave. Yes. 
He supplied. He furnished. It was what we needed. It was what we were lacking. It was what we were emptied of. It was that we had no ability to find or buy or get or do. It was God this morning that so loved the world that He gave. He gave. Ah, what a heart of the Bible. We find this morning as well I know it's not only God initiated and interested, but God invested. He invested. God gave his heart. He said, I so love. God invested his will. He said, for God. And then he invested his mind. He invested this morning his creation. He invested his pleasure and he invested his purpose. Thank you, Lord, for the connection of the verse. And I believe we ended there last time, and now we'll pick up here this morning. Sixthly, I want you to notice the compassion of this verse. The Bible says in verse 16, says, His only begotten Son. That was the compassion of this verse. His only begotten Son. In order this morning for you and I to have what we needed and what was furnished to us by His gift, He gave His only begotten Son. For you to be saved, for you to go to heaven, for you to escape hell, for you not to be cast into the lake of fire, for you to be, not be unsaved and ungodly and unfit for heaven, it cost God a great cost. His only begotten Son. That's what your salvation cost Him. So don't tell me it didn't cost you anything. Friend, it cost God His only begotten Son this morning. And that's why we should never get over our salvation. We never should just put off our salvation. We never start to stop telling God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for giving me an inheritance in heaven. Thank you for giving me a reservation in heaven. Thank you I don't have to go to hell. Thank you I don't have to go to the judgment seat. Thank you, Lord, that when I die, I can be with heaven heaven and heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the peace in my heart and the rest in my soul. Thank you, Lord, for the hope I've got. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Because, friend, we got to find that that compassion that he was and he gave his only begotten son. It cost a great cost for God. It wasn't just something that he could spare. It wasn't something he said, well, I got many sons. I just give them that one. It wasn't that he said, you listen, you know what? I, I think I can just do something different than a son. Maybe I can give him a car, a plane, a spaceship. Yeah. No, he gave him his only begotten son. Oh, that's compassion this morning. Don't you, ever li- don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever leave it this morning that your salvation was a great cost to our God. Number two, not was it a great cost, but it was a great request of God. It's in order for him, as God would look upon the world, and as God looked upon the world, he said, I love the world, and so love the world did I do. He said then, he said that he gave, and that is furnished and supplied and gifted so that the world could have something that they don't have, something that they need. He said, so I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my son. And my son is a request. Amen. 
It's a request. Because as you look at the world this morning, what is it that could save them? Look at the world today. What is it that could rescue them? What is it this morning that could come to the world today right now and bring healing and bring a place today where there's preservation? What? So the request was made. God made the request. God said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my holy son. I'm going to send my sinless son. I'm going to send my dying son because I request that in order to save you. Isn't that something this morning? That it took the, the blood of Emmanuel's veins to save my rotten soul. Ain't it something today that it took God himself to become flesh in order for me to be born again? Isn't it something this morning that God came from heaven who was rich with all and yet he became poor that through his poverty that I might become rich? That's compassion. That's compassion. I mean, everybody in this room ought to be shouting it out this morning about this God so loved the world, so loved me, that he would give and furnish and supply anything I need. So he supplied his son, the sinless son of God, the one who's never told a lie, the one who's never done anything wrong, the one today, dear God, is pure and innocent. He's the Lamb of God, amen. And it was him that he requested he didn't request a goat. He didn't request a cow. He didn't request a sheep. I mean, he didn't request a, a, uh, a sheep. He didn't request, friend, a fowl. He didn't request a pigeon. He requested the Lamb of God. Amen. That's what he requested. Jesus. What compassion. I noticed there was a great cost and a great request, but I noticed there's a great requirement. In order for this to be furnished and supplied to the world. This so love of God would give His Son. There would have to be a sacrificing Son. Right? Wow. That means His Son wasn't given to live, but His Son was given to die. His Son wasn't given to live a good life. The King of Israel, you'd think He'd be up in mansions. He'd up in palaces. He would have thousands of servants and, and feeding, them, uh, feeding them apples and grapes and grapefruits. Right. I mean, he would have them all around with swords and staves and shields. And, yeah. and for, there would be absolutely nobody could touch the Lord Jesus, the King of the Jew. But he sent his son not only to die, but to suffer. He died. He called and said, listen, son. I so love the world. Who's the world? Oh, they're just ungodly and wicked and unfit. Right. They're all blind and deaf and dead. That's right. I mean, what, 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 what? Yeah, I'm telling, they're full of judgment, full of wickedness and wrath and sentences of God. They're going to die and go to hell. That's where they belong. That's the and you want me to do what? I gave him a gift. And that gift is you. Amen. And that gift is you. And the request has to be you. But the requirement has to be you too. Right. And you're going to have to sacrifice. Yes. 
you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to be the substitute. You may not got to be what they are. Yeah, you got to become sin. Yes, I do it. The Bible says that he loved the church that he gave himself for it. With a smile on his face and joy in his heart, according to Hebrews, he said he went to the joy to despise the shame. Oh, there was no regret in the heart of Jesus. There was no bitterness in the heart of Jesus. There was no ill will at all in his heart when God the Father said to God the Son, you're going down as a gift and you're going to sacrifice and substitute and you're going to serve the world by your blood. He said, Father, I'm glad to do it. And I do it. And when I get here, I promise you, Father, I will do everything according to your will. And I will finish the work that you gave me to start. Amen. Woo! Amen. Man, what a verse. Yes. We find this morning, what compassion. What compassion. The world never experienced this kind of compassion before. I can't imagine you walking out from Jesus this morning. I can't imagine that. Seventhly, I got ten. I got ten points. We're on number seven. I want you to notice. Seventhly, the command of this verse. The command of this verse. We find it says, as we're as we're going word by word, that whosoever believeth in him. That's the command. So, brother, all that you said already, what do I do with that? Believeth. That's what you do. We find this morning, I want you to notice to whom this command is given. The Bible says, whosoever. That means all people. All nations. All races. All genders. By the way, there's only two of them. All unbelievers, everyone in this room, in the color of your skin, the education of your mind, the very purity of your heart, it don't matter this morning. Whosoever covers anyone and everyone and everywhere. You say, is there a sect of people that cannot believe? No. Is there a certain nation or a certain race that God has rejected and God has set apart? No. Whosoever, whosoever, that's the command. So who does the command go to? Whosoever. Well, who are the whosoevers? Well, the whosoevers are the world. So whosoever in the world, the command's given to them. Now, will everybody in the world obey the command? No. Will everybody in the world take seriously the command? No. Will everybody take the command and begin immediately, just get right on it and begin to obey? No. But whosoever, there may be some whosoever's in here this morning. The command was given to you on that day. The command was given to you on the day you got saved. The commandment was given to you on the day that you got born again. And friend, when that commandment came unto you, he said, whosoever believeth in him, and you said, I obey that. And you got saved and born again. So we find whom 
But then we find what? What was the command is given? What was believeth? Believeth. So it says, whosoever believeth in him. How am I going uh, uh, to obey the command? I obey it by baptism. No. I obey it by being good. No. I obey it by being an independent, fundamental Baptist believer. No. I, 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 will, I will obey it by doing some things for the poor and for the homeless and for the naked and for the hungry. No. I'll give my tithes. I give my offerings. I go out to a mission field. I preach a message. I teach a Sunday school. I play the piano. I come to church on Sunday morning. Will all that work? No. Believeth. Believeth. That's the what. Whom? Whosoever. What? Believeth. You say, brother, there's only one thing I have to obey. One. Believeth. Well, what if I want to do something different? Then you're not believing. In order for you, in order to get what this scripture is telling you you're going to get and not going to get, you got to believe. Now, what does that mean, though? Well, that word believeth there, it means to have faith in. It's an action word. This morning, we've got a multitude of people who think belief is a mental it is a emotional. It is something today that you learn, something that you're educated, uh, something that you know. When I say, do you believe in Jesus? You make a statement and said, yes, I was baptized. That's what many people say. Right. Me, hey, do you believe in Jesus? They say, yes, I've been going to church all my life. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. I believe that He died and buried and resurrected. I believe that He walked on water. I believe He done miracles. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But none of that belief will bring you forth into salvation. None of it. So what is belief? Faith in. Faith in. Just because Jesus died on the cross for you don't mean you're saved even though you believe it. Faith in. Let me give you another word kind of maybe help you see what this word believeth is. It's an action. We find that that same word uh, believeth means to entrust to. To entrust to. To entrust your soul to Jesus Christ. To trust your soul. It's sort of like this. You're out and about and you're single. And you find, say you're a guy, and you find a, a pretty little old girl. And man, she is, uh, she's out of sight. And you want to talk to her and you tell her she's pretty. You tell her, you know, her hair's perfect. You tell her, man, you sure look nice. You'd look really nice with new, some new earrings that are diamonds. You know how you guys do, right? Talk all that nonsense. So you tell her, you build her up, talk all this smack. You got her believing all this junk. She thinks you're the best ever. 
you talk to her again and talk to her again and talk to her again. And you say to her, you say, you know what? I want to marry you. And she says, oh, good, good. Goes home, tells mom and daddy, I got a fella. He wants to put some new uh, ear bobs on my ear uh, with some diamonds. I mean, he says, I want, I'm just as perfect as it can be. Absolutely nothing I'm doing is wrong. I mean, he loves everything about me. And then he said he wants to marry me. And then next time y'all talk, he says, boy, I sure love you. Goes home to mom and daddy, boy, he says he loves me. Then next time you talk, he says, man, when we get married, I'm going to buy you a big house up on a hill on five acres, have you a few horses and a few goats and cows, and I'm going to have some chickens out there, and we'll have some ranchers, and we'll have some servants, and I tell you, man, we're going to fix this thing up. Matter of fact, I call the ranch after your name. Wow. <laughs> Go back home, tells mom and daddy, I found the guy. I mean, he's everything I ever thought of and even more. I mean, he's going to name his ranch after me. We'll have five acres of land, big old house, a bunch of kids, and a bunch of cattle. We're going to be the richest on the hill. Next time you talk to him, he says, boy, I got some good plans for you. I got a 401k. I've been investing in this oil, and I got you as the beneficiary. Go tell mama, daddy. Listen, mama, daddy, when he dies, <laughs> I got it all. I mean, I'm telling you, my present and my future is all set up. Five years as I went by, every time he sees her, he says, boy, we got some good plans ahead of us. Ten years go by. Well, I tell you, man, I tell you, when we get married, it's going to be good. You ain't ever going to have such a good life when we get married. 20 years go by. Man, I tell you what, man, I can't wait for me and you to be married. It's going to be good. Let me ask you a question. Do you think this morning in his words, in the definition of believing, that he believed all that? He believed it on the persuasion side. He believed, it, he believed it that he could possibly do that. He believed it that he, he wanted to do that. He had all that belief in that. But you know where he failed? There was no entrust. He never did say this, will you marry me? And that's the problem with many Christians maybe in this room right here. You've got all these emotions, you've got all these feelings, you've got all these prayers, you've got all these baptisms, you've got all these experiences, you've got all this knowledge, you've got all this education, you're a theologian, I mean, you have your ducks in a row, you think everything is just perfectly fine, but the problem is you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you never entrusted Him. I'm telling you, that's what's wrong with our churches today. That's why the churches could take on this, this, uh, this LGPTQR+. Why churches are taking on that intolerance. How churches can take on abortions. How churches can take on this liberal mindset. How churches can take on this welfare thought process. How churches can take on the down at the border and say, yeah, let them come on in. Let them come on in. Let them come on in. Whether legal or illegal. 
What I'm saying this morning is we all have a thought and a knowledge and an understanding of Jesus. But in this verse 16, whosoever entrusts Jesus, whosoever puts their faith in Jesus, whosoever commits to Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Given over, costing you something, stepping over the line. It's not here, it's here, and you have totally surrendered and given over unto Him. That's believing. Amen. We've got a bunch of dumb dogs that don't bark behind pulpits today. We got a bunch of mama called daddy sent preachers. We got a bunch of people behind the pulpit today. All they want is a paycheck. All they want for is a career. All they want today is to go down there to the pulpit and preach on Sunday morning only and play golf the rest of the time and go out and make do this and do that and become this and become that. And friend, I'm telling you today, our pulpits are bare. People are dying and going to hell believing. And yet Jesus said, Whosoever believeth in me. I pray this morning that you have embraced, you turn from your wicked ways, and you have trusted Jesus. That word believeth means trust. I've put my trust in the world, but now I've returned my trust, and now i put my trust in Jesus. i put my trust in money, but now I've returned from that, and i put my trust in Jesus. i put my trust in government, but i returned from that and put my trust in Jesus. That's what the word believeth means. It means that you did trust something before, but now you repented of that, and now you've turned to Christ, and you said, Christ, I trust you, and trust you alone. My commitment is to you. My entrusting of my soul is to you. I got faith in you. I'm just trying to make it clear this morning about the word belief. That's the whom. That's the what. Then I want to show you the why. He said, without this command, this morning the world would not know who to believe in for salvation. Did you know that? Without this verse... The world would not know who to believe in without this verse. He could have went and said, Whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He could have said that. Whosoever believeth. Believeth what? Believeth the Pope? No. Believeth Confucius? Believeth Muhammad? No. Believeth Buddha? Believeth... Smith, I mean, believe Joe, <laughs> believe what? Believe it in Him. Believe it in Him. In Him. In Him. Well, who's Him? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Him. In verse 16, He's the only begotten Son. In verse 13, He's the Son of Man, which is in heaven. In verse 22 of chapter 2, as we're going backwards here, we'll find that He is the one that's risen from the dead. We find in chapter 2, verse 21, that He is the temple of what they're speaking of here about He said in verse 19, destroy this temple, He's talking about Himself, and in three days I will raise it up. We find in verse 49 of chapter 1, the Bible says that you're the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. 
We find uh, there in uh, verse 45 uh, that he is Jesus of Nazareth that has met and found everything that Moses has said in the law, verse 45, everything he's ever written of the prophets he has fulfilled and did write, it says, Jesus of Nazareth. We find that he is in verse 36, the Lamb of God. We find in verse 30 that he is the eternal one of chapter 1. It says, uh, This is he whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's the eternal one. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he is the word. In verse 9, he is the light. In verse 4, he is eternal life. And in verse 3, he is creator. In verse 1, he's God. That's why you have to believe it in Him. Amen. I'm just trying to let you know this morning the command of the verse. Eighthly, the conquest of the verse. We find in John chapter 3 and verse 16, there's a conquest. He says, should not perish. Should not perish. To you and I that are lost in the world, should not perish or to be bells. It will be sweet things. Should not perish. Jesus said, except you repent, you should like perish. But he says, should not perish. I would be interested in that, wouldn't you? For every sinner, friend, for every lost soul, for everyone in the world this morning, I would be looking for something that said should not perish. Amen. I would. Because you're perishing. And boy, I'd like to find something that says I should not perish. I want you to notice a few things the Bible says about the world. Uh, look at, don't, don't turn there, but I'll give you the verse and I'll tell you where it's at. John 17, 25 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. Is Jesus lying? Yeah. Is Jesus telling a story? No, he's talking to the Father. He says to the Father, For God so loved the world. That world. And Jesus says to the Father, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. Now you're in trouble already. The world don't know God. I don't care what you say that you know about God. You don't. It don't matter to me if you read a hundred books, you read the Bible 55 times. I don't care for how many times you prayed a prayer. I don't care for any of those things. All I care about is what Jesus said. He said, the world knoweth not the Father. That's a big problem. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man come unto the Father. Because he doesn't know you, you can't get there. That's like somebody coming to your house from this church. They just walk in. You're sitting there, you're sitting at your table, and you're eating some, you know, a big old ribeye steak with a big old baked potato, and got some asparagus on the side. With you got a, uh, maybe an apple pie with some ice cream, just getting ready for that with some big old fat rolls, and and some a big old glass of tea, half and half. And boy, you you're really fixing to get into it, and enjoy it. And somebody from this church just walks in and sits down, and says, "Okay, let's eat." What? What are you doing in my house? That's just like you going to heaven in the condition you are now. 
You think you're going to walk into his house? Yeah. No. <laughs> you think you're going to sit down at that supper? You think you're just going to break into heaven? I am the life of the party. I made it finally here. Everybody looked to me. He said, Father, the world don't know you. Number two, Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says, all the world may become guilty before God. Now the world's guilty before God. Not only don't know the Father, but he's guilty. Number three, Romans 5, 12. Sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Now all the world's sinners. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whom the God of this world blinded their eyes that they, that they believe not. Man, we're in trouble, world. We don't know God. We're guilty before God. Now we're all sinners. And then he tells us that we're blinded. <laughs> the Bible says in Galatians 1, 4, present evil world. Today the, the world is evil. Present evil world, the Bible teaches it. It says also, James 4, 4, that the friend of the world is the enemy of God. So if you've got a relationship with this world, you're kind of hooking up with this riches. You're kind of hooking up with this uh, movies. You're kind of hooking up with this uh, music. You're kind of hooking up with its things. You're kind of hooking up with the way of life. And you're enjoying its fashions and fads. And, and boy, you're really enjoying life today. And this world is really intriguing to you. And this world is something you want to get a hold of and get on to. The Bible says you're an enemy. Right. World, man, we're in trouble. It goes on saying... John, 1 John 2, 15, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't think there's anybody in this room who's never not loved the world. 1 John 5, 19 says, and the world lieth in wickedness. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Revelation 12, 9 says, the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. And God gives a promise in John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth, who will put their faith in Christ, that will commit to Christ, that will entrust to Christ, that will embrace Christ. Here's a promise. Shall not perish. Not is it a promise, but it is a guarantee. Shall not perish. It is an assurance. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 28, and they shall never perish. How long is never? Never. So if I believe that puts my faith in Christ, that means I embrace the Lord, I, I repent and turn to Christ and trust Him and I'll commit to Him and I will put my faith in Him, then I shall never perish, never perish, never perish. Is there a time in my life that I'll perish? Never perish! What if I just lose my mind and I go out and somebody pulls in front of me and I get out of my car and beat the snot out of them? Never perish. Glory to God. What if I say, man, I tell you what, I'm having a bad day, a hard day, and I'm at my wit's end, and I just go someplace, somewhere, I pull over to the bar, and I get drunk as a skunk. And I get in my car, and I take off, and I get in a wreck, and I kill a mom and a dad and three children in the car, and now I'm a murderer, and I'm going to prison, if not going to the life chamber. Never! Right. <laughs> 
Well, if I tell a lie, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Never! Never. I love that verse. Shall never perish. Oh, that's a conquest. Number, number nine, getting close. I know you're watching the clock. Number nine, I want you to look at the comfort of this verse. But have everlasting life. That word have there, it means, means possession. Possession. Did you know eternal life is a possession? It's not a thing. It's a possession. That word have there, it means ownership. But have everlasting life. Possess everlasting life. Ownership of everlasting life. It means an assurance. And do you think this morning, once you put your faith and trust and commitment in embracing into the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, that you shall never perish but have everlasting life? How long's everlasting? That possession, that authority, that ownership, that assurance is yours. The world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away. And you didn't make it yourself and you can't remove it yourself. You cannot do anything with what you possess and ownership of. You have. You have. Man, John 3.16. Life without end. Life with God. Life in heaven. Not earned, not learned, not found. Half. Have. Everlasting life is known. You know it now. Right? I know it now. Not is it known, but it is given. It's an inheritance. It's a gift. It's given. You have. Number three, it's now. Your everlasting life begins now. Do you know the difference between everlasting life and eternal life? Everlasting life has a beginning and no ending. Eternal life has no beginning and has no ending. So you have everlasting life, the beginning of the day you got born again, and from that day on you possess, you are authority over, you are now ownership of, and now you are assured of, of this eternal or this everlasting life. Right. Wow. Number 10, the consideration of this verse. Why would the world, why would you consider this one verse today? Of all the verses in the Bible, I'd ask you to consider this one. Why would you do that? Well, I would say, number one, the world is God's adversary. The world is God's adversary. The Bible says in verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. So the very consideration of this verse this morning before we leave is the world is God's adversary. So what do you do with adversaries? I can show you in Romans that you're an enemy. 
I show you through other passages in, in Ephesians that you're an enemy. The world's an enemy of God. The lover of the world's an enemy of God. The friend of the world's an enemy of God. We find today all through the scripture the world is an enemy. Now what do you do with enemies? You destroy them. You condemn them. And you judge them. Is that true? What's going on in Israel? Hamas went over the border. Israel is taking it out on Hamas. War, enemy, they're destroying them, they're condemning them, and they're judging them. Rightfully so, but that's what you do with enemies. But I say to you, the world is God's adversary. But I want you to notice in verse 17, the world is God's attack. How does he attack the world? As Israel's attacking Hamas in Gaza. Uh, Israel's attacking Hezbollah over there in Lebanon because they have attacked them. And now in Syria. And there's others coming from Yemen. And there's others coming from Jordan. And others coming from other areas around there. You'll find from every which way except from the Mediterranean uh, that there is a war taking place and a time of removing Israel off the face of the earth. And that's what you do with enemies. Amen. And you'll find this morning as God's answer to his enemies enemies was he's going to attack. And how did he attack the world? He sent his son. What is, what is America doing today to help Israel fight this battle? Sending our USS whatever. Sending our bombers, sending our ships, sending our fighters, sending this, sending that, sending, sending, sending. And what do we do in Ukraine? We sent our bullets, sent our artillery, sent our rockets, sent our sent, 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 sent. And what does God do to the world? The enemy of him who hates him, despises him, worships other gods, idolaters, he sends his son. That was the attack of the world from heaven. He sends his son. <laughs> he said, I get you. And boy, here comes Jesus. The most powerful man on the world. The most powerful man. I mean, they were saying to him, listen, don't you know what we can do to you? He said, don't you know that I can call 12 legions? About 144,000. And just get rid of you. He's the most powerful man. Nobody's ever can do what God can do. Jesus today, friend... He had everything at his hand to him. Right. The most powerful man. Number two, he's the most wisest man. Yes. You couldn't outfox him. You couldn't trick him. All them old Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and Sanhedrin and all them heathens and pagans, uh, they were trying to trip him up, trying to show him off, trying to get him into jams and situations where he would skirm and, and feel like that he's got caught. Fred, no, he's the wisest man that ever lived, Jesus. The most powerful man that ever lived. Thirdly, he's the most holiest man that ever lived. None could defeat him. None could trick him. None could remove him. And boy, this adversary, God is saying, you're going down. I done set my brightest. I done set my best. You're going down, world. 
No, you're going down, but friend, you're going to go away fast and you're going to go out quickly. So what does he do? In verse 17, the Bible says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. The very thing that you would do for an enemy is the very one that he sent and the one he sent said, I'm not going to condemn you. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 47. As the, as the attack came upon this world by sending his son, he didn't send them to condemn them. But in John chapter 12, verse 47, what else you would do to an a, a adversary is judge them. The Bible says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Amen. That was the attack of God on the world. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. Then look in Luke chapter, chapter 9 with me. Luke chapter 9. And look in verse 56. Luke 9 and verse 56. He says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The very three things that you do to an enemy is to, to condemn and destroy and to judge. And he says, I got attack. I'm going to attack the world. I'm going to send my son. And the son says, I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to destroy. I didn't come to judge. I come to save. Wow. What are you going to do this morning? What are you going to do? We find here, lastly, the world is God's answer. He said, verse 17, that through that the world through him might be saved. He said he came to save the world. He said he came to save them. That word saved there in verse 17 means delivered and rescued and protected and preserved and healed. Jesus has come to this world. The Bible says in Luke 19.10 to seek and to save that which is lost. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11 to save that which is lost. Now if you have an NIV Bible, what wasn't in that. Wasn't in that Bible. Matthew 18, 11 is not in NIV. But in King James Version, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Now this morning, if you're lost, God looked upon the world. He said, I'm going to attack my enemy. How are you going to do that? I'm going to send him my son. And my son gets here, he's not going to condemn you. He's not going to judge you. And he's not going to destroy you. But he will do something. He'll save you. Now if you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why would you leave out here lost today? Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The heart of the Bible. How about you this morning? Oh, would you come? Hope you just don't have a mental ascent of him. I said this a hundred times, and you heard this before, but a lot of people today will find themselves in hell because of 18 inches. From the, from the mind to the heart is about 18 inches to all of us. You have it here in the mind, but you don't have them in your heart.
Won't you come this morning? Won't you just let go? Say, Jesus, I, I turn from my wicked ways. And I trust Jesus today. I believe. I believe in you. You're God. You're Savior. You came to the world not to condemn me, judge me, or destroy me. But you came to save me. Would you let Jesus save you today? You sing, Brother George. Christians are praying, begging God this morning. Don't be looking around. There's no place to look around. Eyes closed, hearts seeking God. Our voices are begging the Lord, save. 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 God saves. Jesus saves. Saves. Come, sinner friend. May not always be like this. God has drawn you by His Spirit. The Word of God has persuaded you. You follow Him. Obey the command this morning. Obey the command. Oh, consider this verse. Oh, consider it. Oh, God. Blessed be your name. Hallowed be thy name. What a wonderful God. Glorious Savior. Master. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Appreciate y'all this morning. Thank you for your patience. But Charles, will you dismiss us this morning? Come, let us all unite to sing.